Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Consequences Beyond. I'm Caroline. I'm Marissa. And I'm Julissa. We're three UMass Boston gender leadership and public policy students who have spent the semester investigating a wide range of how leaders responded to COVID-19 and its effects on the education system. Over the course of three episodes, we'll explore national and international strategies and communication, differences in state initiatives and data analysis, and the local impact on communities, teachers, and families. The power that decision makers have in this moment have real-life consequences for families and communities. When we look beyond the politics, the science, the differences, what we are left with is a humanity that must live in this moment and look to an unknown future. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. This is Julissa Colon. Welcome to our podcast. Today, we are looking at educational leadership in the time of COVID-19. We are investigating how decisions that trickle down from national governments through state systems and eventually local school districts ultimately impact families and the individual everyday folks like ourselves who make up communities. For this podcast, I wanted to learn about how, as policies are being developed, how much impact do everyday people have on the system? Are there opportunities for them to make their voices heard? Do they feel like they are part of the decision-making? And if they don't, then who is? When final decisions are made, how are they being communicated to parents and teachers and the community? Is it effective communication? And how are those decisions ultimately impacting parents, teachers, and students? With current school setups, what has been successful and what hasn't? We're going to talk about it all. There are so many questions. I was lucky enough to interview folks from the two areas our group studied on a larger level, New Mexico and Massachusetts. Specifically, I interviewed folks who were teaching and or had children in public schools in Holyoke, Massachusetts and Rio Rancho, New Mexico. I also was lucky enough to have the opportunity to interview a teacher working in the Pueblo of Jemez, also known as Walatoa, a federally recognized tribe from north central Mexico, uh, excuse me, north central New Mexico, which is about 40 minutes away from Rio Rancho. So let's jump right in. I'd like to begin with a quick introduction to uh, those who contributed to this podcast. First is Naomi R., who is a teacher in the Holy Public Schools system. And we have Jonathan and Cheryl, who are parents with children in the Holyoke uh, Mass Public School District. And then on the New Mexico side, we have Michelle G., who is a parent in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. And last but not least, we have Mara Herrera, who is a teacher in Pueblo Jemez, a native reservation in New Mexico. Those were the people that contributed to this conversation. Um, and I was really grateful to have a chance to talk to them. The many things that we talked about included, um, of course, leadership, communication, decision-making skills, plans, success, negatives, and then the impact on teachers, uh, students, and parents. And so I'd like to talk through some of the learning that happened there. Starting with Naomi, her examples of leadership in her school district were really positive, though she didn't have much interaction with the uh, higher district level people, such as the superintendent, she felt really successful in her role because of her particular relationship with the um, building principal, excuse me, at her school. She described him as a positive, 
uh, leader who was fully connected. Um, and that was actually very similar to um, Mara's relationship with her building principal. And she was the teacher from uh, Pueblo Jemez. And so she also felt connected and had that cute uh, human connection with a positive relationship with her principal. That seemed to make a really big difference um, in terms of feeling positive about the possibilities in the school. And again, those were the two teachers. What was different um, in terms of the parents in Holyoke were that they didn't feel any connection um, to the district leadership or even the building leadership. I found that uh, for Jonathan and Cheryl, this situation has been incredibly difficult and negative, and they didn't feel any connection or understanding about who was in charge or who was making decisions. Um, for Michelle G. from, from Rio Rancho, uh, she had a very direct kind of understanding that they have a strong leader and their superintendent, and that person was clearly in charge. But again, it wasn't about having a direct relationship. They knew. And so there was a significant difference in understanding who was in charge and how that would then um, lead to feeling integrated into the, into the school district and their information and what was happening and those that didn't. So both teachers from New Mexico and from Holyoke felt that connection with their school um, principals. And so that made a difference in their teaching. Um, and so that led me to talk about communication and what sort of communication patterns did the district, the teachers, the principals have with the teachers and with the uh, parents, excuse me, and really identifying whether that made a difference in the outcomes, really, of how parents and students were feeling and teachers, of course. And so starting again with Naomi. Uh, she had good communication with her building leadership, as she said before, and her main focus was having good communication with parents. And that was um, repeated as well in Mara's situation um, on the reservation. She felt really strongly. She's actually a new teacher to this um, particular school. She had worked at a previous um, indigenous school uh, not too far away from this one that had poor communication. And so she actually left after 19 years and was new to this district and felt immediately um, that the district leaders and that the school leaders were working really hard um, to ensure that all teachers felt um, in the loop, that they knew what was happening. She talked about uh, phone calls being made on Saturday mornings during the summer to be sure that, that um, you know, teachers were in the loop about what was gonna be happening. And then once they got into school for their professional development, you know, at the beginning of summer, end of, uh, excuse me, end of summer, beginning of fall, the school really pushed them to communicate with parents all summer um, and a strong push at the end to ensure that families had everything they needed to be successful. So in-depth and regular communication on all levels in terms of the New Mexico um, um, experience uh, on, in Pueblo Jemez seem to be making a very distinct difference in the success level. Um, everything from the leadership in the school communicating with the tribe consistently uh, to make sure everyone was working together for resources, and then the in-building person talking to the teachers, which then filtered down to the teachers talking to the parents. So it seems like they had a very good communication loop. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't the same story 
that parents in Holyoke were feeling, um, at least the ones that I interviewed and, and their reflection on, on the people and friends that they have with children in the district. They really felt that their only communication um, right now is coming from teachers. They felt initially very disconnected from all sources of information. Um, there w didn't seem to be any resources for them throughout the process. Um, it was actually only through uh, an unfortunate incident where the family suffered a fire in their home um, and the Red Cross and the community came together to give assistance. And there they got a connection from the school who you know, managed to give them some information. But they, they really felt out of the loop in terms of what was happening when school was starting or how it was going to be started. They, were, they felt unorganized and, and just felt like it wasn't the best case scenario for them. Um, and so they could definitely have used more information. Next, um, we engaged in, in conversations about decision-making. And my main kind of focus here was whether or not families and instructors and districts felt as though they had an impact, whether they were part of the decision-making process of the pandemic, you know, whether they got to go to school remotely, whether they were going in person, whether it was hybrid, um, you know, just feeling like they had the ability to communicate their preferences or their fears or questions for the, for the districts. And starting with the instructors, um, Naomi from Holyoke said she didn't really feel as though she or other teachers had any say in a larger scale decision making. Um, but again, because of the relationship with the excuse me, the building principal um, who took the time to listen to what they said worked and what their fears were and what they had tried during the March breakdown about what didn't work, that though they weren't part of the higher up decision making within their own building, they were able to identify what went well and what didn't. And so decision making in terms of flexibility for their own students and um, to do what felt right for their students was was an option for them. They had the autonomy to do that within their own building. Um, in the Pueblo school, uh, Mara talked about being again a new teacher to the district. Um, and though they didn't feel again any um, direct choice in the decisions being made by the Bureau of Indian Affairs or within the tribe itself, who really had a strong leadership presence, um, the decisions were made and they were just told what it was and that was it. But she felt like they were making really good decisions. And so for the most part, most teachers were really on board with the district plan. Um, they felt that it was really community focused and community centered. Um, and so there was really a jump for them to go ahead and go in. Um, and so there was, there was no issue with, with who was making decisions on that point. Um, and again, they all, they, she had a good relationship or has a good relationship with her building principal, or um, I think they have a different title for it uh, in, the, in the Native school, but uh, she felt positive about being able to, to talk about any concerns with her, this, her building um, leadership. In terms of the parents' feelings about decision-making, um, they were similar um, in that Neither Michelle nor in, in New Mexico and the Rio Rancho area, nor Jonathan or Cheryl felt like they had any 
true end of, you know, decision making. Um, They didn't feel like they had a real impact on what was decided. However, there was a real difference between their experiences in whether or not the districts tried to gather information. So for Jonathan and Cheryl and Holyoke, they felt really disempowered from decision-making. They never were asked, or at least they don't know of any space where they were asked. They weren't given a survey or a phone call or anything like that about what preferences they had for their children in returning back to school. Um, And so... And so it was really frustrating for them to feel in the dark about what was going on with schools until the very last minute. Um, for Michelle in, in Rio Rancho, um, there were lots of communication tools. You know, as she said before, they had very good communication from the district. Uh, parents had surveys sent out for collecting data. Uh, there were school committee meetings and they were, you know, posted all over the place. There's Facebook groups. There's all sorts of ways in which the district was communicating um, to parents and, again, seemed to be collecting the data. However, Michelle personally felt that they weren't really using the information gathered as a focused part of the decision-making, that it was really, um, she talked about living in a district that was pretty politically conservative, and so she felt that there was a real push to get people um, in school in person whether or not that was the preference of parents, um, you know, she said was neither here nor there. She, for her, she didn't. But it didn't seem that that was part of the conversation, really, that there, was, there seemed to be a political kind of bend to this. Um, as we know nationally, that's been part of a real conversation. So um, though they had very different experiences about whether or not they were asked information, the reality is that neither parents felt like they had a, a power in the decision-making process. Um, and and that's, that's a difficult thing to focus on because plans were made, right? Plans um, came out and people had to deal with them. And so for um, all of the districts, for the Holyoke District and for the New Mexico um, Rio Rancho District and the Native Reservation, Everybody was originally asynchronous when it, um, in March when it came to the first kind of pandemic strike. Um, and what ended up happening after summer plans for Holyoke, um, Naomi talked about as a teacher that leadership really took two different fronts. And so the district superintendent and that higher level administration really focused on distributing technology, uh, really focused on getting Wi-Fi set up. They made relationships with, you know, Comcast and other um, companies to ensure that students had access to the technology that would make it possible for them to have school in September on a remote level. Um, And again, at that point, they didn't know specifically if it would be remote, but it was definitely something on the table that they had to prepare for. Secondarily, so that was the higher district of Holyoke. But she said that the other part of leadership going on for them in Holyoke was that her building uh, leadership, her principal, was making a concerted effort to provide wraparound services for their kids. And so she said, you know, he wanted to make sure that their kids still had food and that they had mental health check ins for the family. And 
and talking about do they have somewhere to stay and really making sure that the family unit themselves was okay. And so they made lots of calls. They made uh, setups for food distribution at the local schools on a regular basis. Um, they did drop-offs, they did check-ins. And so it was really a dual-pronged plan for the district that she felt leadership really stepped up to the plate in those two ways to ensure that kind of basic needs were met right off the beginning and that there was a plan for further success, you know, come the September time. That was from the teacher's perspective. In terms of Jonathan and Cheryl and, and the support for the plans, again, they really fell out of the loop until the end. They were, um, they were part of the group that got laptops and did get help with Wi-Fi so that they felt, you know, that that was a positive part of the district reach out. However, um, they weren't aware of any trainings or parents or access to support for learning for their students. Their two kids actually attend two different schools. Their older son attends a charter school, which for them felt much more organized and they felt is providing a much more targeted learning versus their younger daughter who attends a public school who um, has been having significantly more issues in terms of the plan. Um, they are fully remote at this time, as is Naomi with her um, class. She teaches in a public school and her class is completely online as well. Um, in the New Mexico side, it was interesting because as Michelle had stated, um, the parent from Rio Rancho, there was a concerted effort from the community to ensure um, that students were in person. And so a hybrid plan was developed where students up to fourth grade could attend in person four days a week, or if parents chose, they could be fully remote. All of the grades above fourth grade were fully remote. So most kids were going to school in person. Um, the school district had access to all of the technology. She felt very lucky that they lived in an area in a school district that had all of the necessary supports. So everything from laptop, Wi-Fi access um, were all fully provided for all students. She was also aware of lots of um, parent trainings, webinars, supports um, to teach parents how to work the um, systems being used for classrooms and remote learning. Um, so everything from you know the Google Classroom training and things like that. And so it really felt like she had a broad range of support she chose to have her um, daughters, even though they were, you know, under in the fourth grade area where they could be in person, she did choose to have them go remote. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that she talked about was that currently there's a, a really big increase in COVID rates. And so all of the district is going to go uh, fully remote um, starting the week after Thanksgiving. And so that's one of the changes. But in terms of the plan itself, it was a hybrid plan. Um, where they had both in-person and remote. That was the only different situation because at Mara's um, school in Pueblo Jemez, they did also do fully remote learning. And she talked about the real uh, leadership from the tribe and the district um, and the community, uh, excuse me, the teachers in the district and the leadership in the schools, the principals, how they worked really, really closely together. So at the beginning of, of the pandemic, 
they had, you know, paper packets put together because there was an understanding that due to the lack of Wi-Fi and laptops throughout most of the reservation, the students and parents were not going to have access to the technology that they needed to in order to be able to continue their education. And so they did a, a really involved paper packet um, distribution in order to ensure that everybody had access. And then they spent all summer long setting up, ordering laptops, getting mobile Wi-Fi hotspots set up around the reservation so that when September came, there could be um, remote learning. She talked about how at the beginning of their professional development before starting the semester, there was a huge push, I know we talked about this earlier, um, to ensure that all teachers were communicating with their um, parents of their students because they wanted to ensure that anything that they needed was provided. And so anybody who was having difficulty with Wi-Fi because there was no mobile hotspot next to them, that would then be communicated back to the tribe. And then the tribe would go and provide a, a mobile Wi-Fi hotspot closer to those families who were having trouble accessing. So with the type of communication that was happening in leadership, it seemed like a really wonderful um, collaborative approach, which seemed to be very successful. Um, she was talking about the, the number of connections and, and the increase in support from parents and families for their students and having a really high percentage of students and families engaged. So when we think about all of the, the role of leadership, the different types of communication happening, the decisions happening and who was a part of them, what plans were originally made, you know, we, we need to think about, so what were the levels of success or what are some of the things that were successful about this process and what, what are some of the things that, that weren't so successful? And so as a teacher, Naomi talked about how working with parents cooperatively was a really wonderful part of this experience um, because there, there's obviously no in-person learning. Um, there was a need for, for teachers and parents to work cooperatively in order to ensure that the students are getting as much as they can from this process. Uh, Naomi felt a real, real um, gratefulness for the paraprofessionals that she works with collaboratively. Um, and so she has two paraprofessionals that work with her in a classroom. She specifically works um, in a uh, traditionally sub-separate classroom for students on the autism spectrum. And so um, it was very different having this sort of online learning for students who normally have uh, very specific needs um, in terms of ABL and the type of um, support that they'd need in school. And so having community support was really important for her. Um, she had to reach out to the actual community for support and supplies, um, and she felt really supportive by them. She also felt really that the successes that were possible were possible because of the leadership of her school um, leader, her principal. And the fact that they were supportive gave really positive feedback um, to the staff and staff meetings and kept them informed. And also the positive feedback that she was getting from parents. Um, and so that felt really successful. That was actually right in line with Mara's explanation of the things that she felt were most successful in her district as well. She talked about the parent communication being really 
a beautiful part of the work that she was doing with students. She talked about having um, the whole community uh, in the pueblo invested in making sure that students were attending and successful. Uh, they had um, staff that was literally specifically in charge of each classroom to ensure that if students weren't showing up, that they would connect with parents to see what was going on. Uh, and she said she had high 90s um, in terms of percentages of students and parents engaged. She said it felt like a team, which was another one of the words that Naomi used in terms of classrooms. So as a teacher, that must have really beneficial, you know, supports for family and student learning. Um, so they both felt really supportive via parents and their, their leadership teams. Um, it was a little bit different for the parents' perspective. For Jonathan and Cheryl from Holyoke, um, sadly, they weren't feeling much success. They weren't feeling really positive about, about the things that were going on with remote learning. They did say that they appreciated having the technology um, that they had from the district that was useful and helpful, of course. Um, they actually felt that their older son was getting more instruction and educational support in his charter school than their younger daughter was at the public school. Um, it seems like their communications um, attempts when he's late or anything like that is much more immediate. They get a text or a phone call pretty quickly if he's not online when he's supposed to versus for their daughter where communication um, seems to be a little bit um, less productive. And so they really couldn't identify many, actually they couldn't identify anything beyond having technology that felt really successful. Um, for Michelle in Rio Rancho, she was grateful that the district was really organized and that the students have the supplies that they need for, for, for everyone and that they're very communicative. But again, she, there was not anything that she felt she could say was really successful in terms of feeling positive about what was happening in, in their school district with their children. Of course, there are always negatives. And one of the things that Naomi had said, the teacher from Holyoke, that I felt was really important she said, do not romanticize this moment. And I really wanted to take a moment to think about that and what that meant for us, because though there are tons of really positive things with leadership, um, providing technology and reaching out to families and that sort of communication, this moment is incredibly difficult. She talked about the difficulties for her students who are on the autism spectrum and her not being able to truly give them the specialized supports that they need. It's, there's just no real substitute for the in-person learning that they need and how, how sad that was for her. Um, she, you know, it was, um, it reminded me of what Jonathan um, and Cheryl were saying as parents, um, that one of the things they're really afraid of is their children not truly learning anything this year, in particular their little one who's in kindergarten. And they're afraid that they're losing out on the social skills along with academic skills that they normally would be learning in a classroom. So the impact on individuals, teachers, parents is really difficult. Um, I said before that Naomi felt sad, you know, about her lack of, of impact on all students. Um, she talked about that she knows that students need more. 
Um, and, and that it's already very difficult and overwhelming to have to restructure all sorts of learning and incorporate all sorts of different technologies, trying to teach the students technology, trying to teach the parents technology and teaching yourself. Um, and so that was a difficult part of being a, a teacher, you know, in a pandemic, um, which was also similar to what Mara was talking about, that she, on the other hand, is really comfortable with tech. And so she felt like she had a, a heads up in terms of being able to support her students. Um, she had always used tons of technology in her classroom in terms of you know, Google Classroom or Class Dojo or all the different new apps that people are talking about. But she worries deeply for those students whose teachers are not as familiar and can't engage in the same way. When we talked about impact on parents, there's a deep, you know, issue with teachers are actually in parents' homes. And so Naomi talked about a real need to have cultural competency um, in those spaces. And she talked about recognizing increased stress levels in parents. And she said this phrase that really stood out to me was that teachers needed to practice radical grace for parents. Radical grace. And I thought about what that meant. And so I thought about, you know, Cheryl and, and Jonathan, who talked about how difficult it was and how this learning from home has affected their ability um, and their, their ability to work um, and the number of hours that they're able to work, the hours that they're able to work when one has to be home with the kids all the time. That's impacted the economics of the household. If there's an errand or an appointment and grandma has to step in, school becomes really difficult because she's unfamiliar with the technology. And so though the parents are pretty good with tech, it's still a struggle with the many different tools that the kids use and it's definitely had increased stress for them. That was similar um, to the um, Michelle's experience as a parent with remote learning. She works full time. And now she talked about her calendar expanding by three. Um, because not only does she have all her to-do assignments, but she also has to incorporate her children's assignments and when they're due and things on her to-do list. And her daughter is also a kindergartner. And she talked about having her directly next to her, you know, working. So imagine trying to work full time, doing your job. And here's your kindergartner who doesn't know how to log in and doesn't know how to read. And now she has to take a test and do all these things that were causing really increased stress and anxiety for her as a parent. Um, and it's incredibly difficult. That's, that's just one of the things. Um, so both teachers recognized that parents were struggling, but that they really were trying to work in partnership. And so that was a difficult um, um, conversation, but that they were really trying to work cooperatively with them. The most striking um, was the impact on students. You know, ultimately, decisions from the higher ups, the national government, the state systems, our district leadership and superintendents, down through the principals in the buildings, through the teachers onto our students, we all wonder about our impact on students, the most important part of this. And there are some really big impacts, at least from the people that I've communicated with. Naomi, as a teacher, knows that her students aren't getting the specific ABL for students on, autism, on the autism spectrum. Her kids are overwhelmed and they're not getting the social interactions that they need. As parents, you know, um, Jonathan and Cheryl 
really struggled with with what they're seeing in their in their children. And so their kids, they feel like they're not learning. And the little one, who's always been a joyful child, has had some some mental health concerns that they felt the need to bring her to the doctor. She was crying and seemed depressed and and it was all related to this inability to connect with other students, feeling like she didn't know how to do school. And that's heartbreaking for parents because the reality is that, of course, she doesn't know how to do school. She's never done school, and now she's trying to do it on a computer when she doesn't know how to read. Um, the older son having difficulties with having no way to kind of let physical activity out, doesn't have sports, and really disconnected to what's happening around them. And so they had real, real concerns about what what growth they would see or what what struggles having this whole year online was going to be for them especially when they didn't feel connected in any ways to the school because of a lack of communication. And I think that, you know, Michelle brought up a good point related to that as a parent as well, that she was afraid of the sort of trauma this sort of experience was going to have on students. Her kids are afraid of the virus. They aren't having social interactions. Um, she did find out her older daughter was doing a little bit better academically because of her shyness. And so that seemed to, she didn't have to deal with the shyness of being in person. And so academically, she seems better off. But I was surprised, as I was with Jonathan and Cheryl, to learn that her younger one, who was kindergarten age, is actually really sad and struggling. And so it surprised me to see that the younger students were having more mental health issues than some of the older ones at this point. And what that's going to mean for their development um, as they continue on in school. It's a really, um, I think, important thing that we have to consider and, and process for future, for future support for our students. Lastly, um, I just asked them about what last notes they wanted to talk about. What last things they wanted to bring into this space and into this conversation. And so... Naomi talked about the importance of bringing joy into space. She talked about spending her entire workday singing and dancing and, and bringing joy into the space for parents and her students because she felt like everybody needed that little bit of joy, herself included, being willing to be flexible with the people involved and recognizing that it really was important for leadership to be positive and engaged with the leader, with the teachers in order to create a space where they could be successful for students. Um, Jonathan and Cheryl reiterated that the lack of communication from district has caused increased stress and anxiety. And so as leaders and, and district personnel, it is critical to ensure that all parents feel that they have a line of communication with you in order to improve, you know, um, family level stress levels and connections for students. Um, that was related to Michelle's conversation. Her two notes were that first understanding that this moment of uncertainty and stress, that the expectation that things will be normal is difficult <laughs> and that it, it seems detrimental to student and family success to expect this to be a normal year. And she talked about feeling like if, if school districts and leaders could recognize that, um, a reduced level of expectations would really go a long way to help reduce stress in families. 
and that to take this as a once in a lifetime opportunity to try something new and be brave and creative and, and get out of the traditional box of learning and try to be innovative in radical new ways. Um, and so an invitation to be innovative um, in order to support families. And lastly, Mara. Mara talked about her distress for children who are home and whose parents can't help them with their work or with technology. Uh, for teachers who aren't tech savvy, who can't help their students and watching students struggle. And she again also talked about the desire for everyone to have the level of communication, support, and flexibility uh, that she felt her, her school district was providing. And so I think overall, we can see that there are varying expectations, there's varying levels of communication and decision-making, but the critical pieces seem to be including parents and teachers in, in the communication loops, uh, bringing joy into the educational sphere, and recognizing that this moment is not a normal moment and that we shouldn't expect it to be. So let's bring empathy and kindness and joy into the space um, and see what we can do for students in the future. Thank you and have a great night.